Okay, everyone. Good afternoon. Um, we're about to begin. Today we're going to have a combination. Um, I did this two weeks, a few weeks ago as well. We have a combination of the Mashiach Matters class and also together with the Parsha My Life. Um, I was away for two weeks in, in uh, the Holy Land doing a lot of classes, lots of lectures, and came back actually Monday, but was beyond exhausted. And I gave a shear, but uh, was not ready for, um, I should say, public consumption. So, uh, and then I just, some for some reason, just couldn't get myself together to get it done before now. So what we're going to do is we're going to combine the Moshiach Matters class together with the Parsha in My Life class and uh, find the Moshiach in the Parsha. I would like to dedicate tonight's class was dedicated by Tzipora, Mrs. Tzipora Feldman. This is in honor of the first yardside of her husband, Asher Lemel Ben Chaim, Olav Shalom, whose yardside was the 22nd of Tammuz. May his neshama have an awesome aliyah to the greatest, greatest, greatest heights. And much, 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 much bracha to the entire family. Uh, may he channel down lots of blessings to his mishpacha for all the good begashmias in the material, the baruchnis, and in the spiritual, for everything they need and everything they want. And very, very soon, we'll be zeicha that he would be back here where all neshamas truly belong, begashmias in this world. With the coming of Mashiach, may it be speedily now. Another dedication on the class. And these dedications were supposed to be on the Parsha in my life class on Monday. But again, as I said, it just didn't work out. So we're applying it today. I'm sure it's uh, going to accomplish whatever it needs to accomplish. This was by Eliza Robin. And this is in honor of her father's yard site. Gershon Henoch ben Yosef, Shalom, on the 24th of Tammuz. May his neshama have a great aliyah greater and higher and higher and higher and even higher. May he channel lots of brachas to you and your family. For only good, mazel, bracha, whatever you need in the material and in the spiritual, and only, only great good things. Be'ezus Hashem. And being that we're in Chodesh of, the time when we think the most about Mashiach, may we ha- shouldn't have to celebrate anymore, ever again, any yard sites only the Simcha of Tchias HaMesim. May we see it already now. Thank you. By the way, I saw an interesting thing in the Gemara, Masechtis uh, Sanhedrin. The Gemara actually, today's, tonight is Aaron HaKoyin's yard site. It's the only yard site recorded in the Torah. And regarding Aaron HaKoyin, the Gemara asks Masechtis Sanhedrin, where do we know Tchias HaMesim in Torah? Where do we know of the resurrection of the dead? So the Gemara gives a few answers. I didn't get to the other answers. I'm still holding by the first answer. The first answer the Gemara gives from where we know Tchiyas HaMesim and Torah, the resurrection, taken directly from Scripture, from the Chumash itself, even though in other places it's written a lot about it, but from the Chumash, from the five books of Moshe. It says that regarding the Truma, which is the portion they give to the Kohen, it says you should give it to Aaron. You should give it to Aaron. Now Aaron never ever got Truma in his life, because truma you can only give to Yidden when they are in uh, when they are in Eretz when they are in um, Eretz Yisrael. 
Truma is only to give from the produce that's produced in the Holy Land. Aaron passed away before the Jews entered the Holy Land. He passed away in the last year of the 40 years, before Moshe actually. Moshe passes away a half a year later in Adar, Zion, Adar, Moshe's yard site. Aaron passed away, whatever, uh, what is it, like a seven months before on Rosh Chodesh Av. So um, he never went into Eretz Yisrael. So he never could receive Truma. So what does it say? You should give it to Aaron. Doesn't you give it to Aaron's descendants? Give it to Aaron. So the Gemara says, because Aaron is going to come back and we're going to give him Truma. So from there, I would venture to say that Aaron, in many ways, is the source of Tchias I mean, or deeply connected, not the source, but deeply connected. The Gemara actually learns it out regarding, Rashi brings it regarding to Moshe. It says, Az Yashi Moshe, Moshe will sing. So you see from there, Moshe, so Moshe and Aaron, whatever it is, um, they, these people are eternal, they're going to be back here. And being that it's Aaron's yard site, Chodesh Av, what a great opportunity to be able to give Truma to Aaron already tomorrow on the day of his yard site. May we merit to see the great redemption happen now. Okay. Um, the time that we're in right now is we're, we're in the three weeks and we're entering into the nine days traditionally celebrated as a very, very dark, sad, and uh, difficult time for the Jewish people. However, as we get closer to the redemption, we begin to sense already the transformation. We begin to sense already that these three weeks are beginning and the nine days are being turned over as it says that these fast days, the Gemara says it, the Pasuk says it, the three fasts of associated with the destruction of the temple. The one of the fourth month, which is the month of Tammuz. The one of the fifth month, which is the month of Av. And the one of the tenth month, which is the month of Asar Beteves. These three fasts, Yahafchu, are going to be turned over. Le Mayadim, Le Yam Toivim, I think it, may, it might mention over there also Tzayim Ashvi, which is Tzayim Gedalia. They're all associated with destruction, with negative things, will be turned into big, big celebration. Yam Toivim, so says the Rambam, these, these are going to be the greatest Yam Toivim, greatest celebration. And now we ought to already feel these days with, in a far more positive light. Lubavitcher Rebbe therefore asked that that we don't focus so much on destruction and the dark side of the things, but instead of mourning, we should be more into yearning. And how do we do that? By studying about the Giyula, about the redemption in general, particularly during these three weeks and during these nine days, we study about the building of the Beis Amikdash, uh, the, 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 the structure of the Beis Amikdash and all that, that all, as we create the structure in our minds, that creates it in reality that we should have already a Beis Amikdash Ashlishi. Now, the numbers associated with the Giyula are interesting numbers. So to, in today's class, I'd like to address number three, number four, and number five. Because number three, four, and five are three numbers that are deeply connected to the Giyula. Three is the number of the Beis Amikdash. We have three Bate Migdash, three temples. And we are now awaiting the last and final temple, which is going to last forever, which is the third temple. So that's number three. Number four is an important number because we know there are four exiles. And this Giyula, this redemption, is many times referred to as the fourth redemption from the fourth Golos. And so number four is a significant number. Then number five is a significant number because 
in, in other places in Chazal, in the writings of our sages, it mentions, it refers to this redemption as the fifth redemption. Because in that case, we don't count Golos Mitzrayim. It depends if you count Golos Mitzrayim as one of the four Goliaths. There's a general idea that there are four exiles to the Jewish people. The question is, is the exile from Egypt considered as one? If you count Egypt, then you count the Babylonian exile and the Persian exile as one. Because it was really one continuation. It began with the Persian, and it flowed in... I'm sorry, it began with the Babylonian, with Babel, and it flowed into Modai, Paras and Modai. So it's considered one. Mitzrayim is one, Egypt. Uh, uh, Babel and, 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 and Modai. And then you have Yavon, the Greek exile, Historia Hanukkah. And then you have uh, Purim. I'm sorry, um, Edom, which is a current exile. The Roman exile. These are the four exiles. If, however, we don't count Mitzrayim, then we split Bavel and Paras as two exiles. Then we have Yavon, and then we have um, Edom. So that would mean, and Mitzrayim is the first. So then, then there's five Goliaths, and Mitzrayim is not counted as a four because Mitzrayim was considered like the source of all exiles. It's like the, the root and the source, and then later it manifests in the four exiles. But according to that, this is the fifth redemption. So we, in, re, in regarding the Giyula, we see the Giyula is associated with three, four, and five. Now, regarding to number three, it's not only the third base Amigdash. Sometimes we refer to it as the third redemption. Why? One redemption is Moshe Rabbeinu from Mitzrayim. Second redemption is Ezra, who takes the Jewish people up and builds the base Amigdash. And the third redemption is Moshiach Tzadkin. So you end up with three, four, and five. Now, isn't it really, really amazing that this Shabbos that we're coming to right now is also associated with these three numbers, three, four, and five. Three is because we're in the midst of the period of time called Bein Amtsarim, which is three weeks. So again, it's not three weeks of... It's not positive, seemingly. It's not positive three negative three. It's the, the three weeks of mourning. But yet, the number three is <coughs> a prominent number over here. We have three weeks. The other, the no, number four, is that this Shabbos, first of all, it's on Chaydish Tammuz. Chaydish Tammuz is the fourth month. Excuse me. Chaydish Tammuz is the fourth month. In addition to that, we're entering into tomorrow, we're entering into Chaydish Achamishi, the fifth month. So these numbers are now very relevant, three, four, and five. But the way we see them simply on, 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 in, in, the time, in the time element, they seem to be very negative ideas. Three weeks of darkness, the month of Tammuz, which is a dark month, fourth month, and the, the month of Av, which is even a darker month, the fifth month. So three, four, and five seemingly in the negative. But yet these three numbers, which are the numbers of the Giyula. So what do we have to say? that really, in truth, what seems to be a chorban, a destruction, and a negativity, deeper inside, it's really all about redemption. It's all about powerful numbers of 3, 4, and 5 as they stand as redemption. Another element of 4 and 5 associated with now is every single week, during every single year, during the three weeks, we take these parshios. I'm sorry, we lane, we read during this period um, Parshais Matois and Masse. And um, 
With that, we conclude the fourth book of the Torah. The fourth book of the Torah is Parshas, is, is Bamidbar. We always do a siyum on Parshas and Sefer Bamidbar during the three weeks, many, many years. But it's always, and it's always during the nine days. Matois, no, it's not, I don't know if it's always. It, it, it's always in the three weeks and possible, and most of the years it actually comes out in the nine days as well. So, and what are we doing? A siyum on what? On the fourth book of the Torah. Now, the siyum on the fourth book of Torah, even though we have five siyumim, when we finish Bereshit, Shemais, Vayikra, then Bamidbar, the book of Numbers, and then the Varim, we always, so we have five of them. One we do on Simchas Torah, when we finish the entire Torah. And the others we do on that special Shabbos. And those four other Shabbosim in the year in which we complete a Sefer in the Torah, has a special name. It's called Shabbos Chazak. It's a Shabbos of Chizuk, Shabbos of strengthening. Out of all four Shabbos Chazaks, this is like an extra special Shabbos Chazak in the sense that what? Being that we finish Sefer Bamidbar, in some way, the book of Bamidbar is considered finishing the entire Torah. Why? Because we know that the book of Devarim, Deuteronomy, the last book, is in a class onto its own. Because it's considered that Moshe Rabbeinu said it, said it on his own on Mipi'atzmai, Moshe said it on his own. Of course, there's a lot of discussion, what does this mean? The Torah, the entire Torah is dictated by God, yet there is a difference between the first four books and the fifth book. Fifth book is really considered a repetition. It's a chazara. It's a review. Moshe Rabbeinu is going over what we, he, we, we already learned in the first four books. Not that there is no chidushim in the fifth book. There's a lot of chidushim, a lot of novelty, Yet, it's still considered Mishnah Torah, a review of the Torah. Comes out, according to that, that Torah itself, prior to the review, ends in Sefer Bamidbar. So in a sense, we can say that this Shabbos Chazak, we are concluding the entire Torah. Actually, the last Pasuk in Sefer Bamidbar, Pashas Masai, concludes with Eila, HaChukim, Vahatoros. These are the mitzvahs that Hashem has commanded. Basically, we're now finished with all the 613. We're finishing the mitzvahs and the like. That's the idea. So it comes out that this is like a super extra seum in the end of this week, and it's the fourth book. So again, highlighting number four. The next thing is, we begin this Shabbos, the fifth book of the Torah, which is Elad Varim. So here again you see number four and number five being highlighted during this time. Three, four, and five. N- now, Four and five, I showed you a positive element. We're finishing the fourth book, and we're entering the fifth book. Where do we see a positive element in the number three also? Not just a negative element, that's the three weeks. Is that when we finish um, reading the, the Torah this week, the Parsha, we're all going to stand up in shul. Men and women, everybody's going to be told to stand up right before we read the last passage. And we're all going to cry out in unison... Jews across the world, I mean, whenever each shul in their own time, but Jews across the world are all going to have a minog in which we're going to cry, we're gonna, it's a custom, they're all to shout out loud, chazak, chazak, v'nis chazik, three times chazak. Chazak, let us be strong, chazak, let us be strong, v'nis chazik, and let's strengthen ourselves. And obviously this is not negative, it's very positive. We take tremendous strength. What kind of strength? Triple strength. In general, we also know that number three is associated with chazaka, with something very strong. 
In order to establish something as a constant, as a reality in Torah, it requires that the thing should repeat itself three times. When something happens once, we don't know if it's real. It could be just a fluke accident. If it happens twice, we still don't know. It's also possible that it just is some kind of a uh, accidental, some kind of a, uh, ha- uh, a happening that just happened. We don't take it seriously. When something has proven itself, in order for something to prove itself, that this is a reality, something that needs to seriously be reckoned with, we do it three times. But as the Gemara says, Bitlas pa'amim have a chazaka. Three times is a chazaka. So we say three times chazak, chazak, chazak means we're really, really strong. Now what's our strength? What are, we, what, are, what are we strong in? We're standing in front of a Torah, in front of a shul, and we're announcing chazak, chazak. We are strong. What's our strength? Our strength is a holy strength. Why? We just finished reading in the Torah. So we're actually strengthening ourselves as Jews in regards to our connection to the Torah. So very, very positive. Three in the positive, four in the positive, the fourth book, five in the positive, the fifth book. So number three, four, and five. As we said earlier, three, four, and five is numbers associated with the current redemption. But yet, it comes out during the time which seems to be total opposite to this, to the redemption. The time of the year in which we're commemorating mourning, destruction, darkness, and again, that too associated with three, four, and five. Three weeks of darkness, the fourth month of Tammuz, a month of destruction, the fifth month of Av, a month of destruction. So how are we going to fit this together? And um, so the question really becomes, how do we see the Chazak, Chazak, Venis Chazak, our strengthening, Dafka in this Shabbos, Dafka, a strengthening related to the Torah and to the strength of the Torah, and in a sense to the seum of the entire Torah, and we say a dafka during the time when it seems like we have violated the Torah, because our sins we were kicked out of the land, a time of weakness in Torah observance, and that's why we had a destruction. If not, if we would be strong in it, we wouldn't have a destruction. And if we don't have the Beis HaMikdash yet, it seems to be a sign that we're still weak. So then why in this time? Well, obviously the simple answer could be that we have to counter the weakness. Now, essentially the time of the three weeks and this Shabbos is a very, 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 very weak Shabbos. Chas it's a very, it's a time when we're lacking in strength. In order to counter that, we, Baruch Hashem, have something to hold on to. We have a completion of the Torah and we're trying to compensate for the otherwise weakened state that we find ourselves. That could be a simple answer of how these two opposites come together. We count dafka because we're weak and, and insecure and vulnerable. We need this extra strength to kind of hold us up that we shouldn't be completely destroyed. That's one way of looking at it, but that's not the, the uh, desirable way. Let's see if we can find a deeper explanation. That the relationship of these three weeks, of sorry, of this triple chazaka of strength, enormous strength, powerful connection, should be connected to the three weeks, not despite the fact that it's the three weeks we have to counter it, but dafka because it's the three weeks. In other words, to be able to find that there is strength, something very, very, very 
strong in these three weeks that make it match up with the triple strength of the Torah, and because they're related to each other in a positive identification. That's why we dafka read and do this um, uh, chazak, 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 dafka during this time. So to understand this, um, the chazak that we're doing on this Shabbos is this year, not every year, but most of the years, comes out when we read two parshios together, matos and masay. Um, we combine it. According to that, we can say that the three chazaks that we're going to say this Shabbos, again, it doesn't happen every year, but at least this year it does happen. The three chazaks that we're going to say, in addition to generally the theme that we're becoming strong, strong, and strong, emphasizing the idea that our strength is durable and lasting, that's why we say it three times. But there's another idea over here, and that is one chazak will refer to Pasha's matos, the first Torah portion. Second chazak is going to refer to Parsha's Masai, the second uh, Torah portion. And the third one is referring to both of them linked together. Matis and Masai come together this year to form one Parsha, which by the way is an important idea. Whenever we read two Torah portions in one Shabbos, the manner in which we read it is that we use one Aliyah, we call one person up to the Torah, makes the blessing, and in the course of this person's blessing, we read two parshim, two portions. That means both portions converge together and turn into one. If we would still consider them as two portions, as if we say, watch parshas this week, it's matos and the masa. If that would be the case, then we should finish reading one, give a person an aliyah, let's say the fourth aliyah, let him finish matos, let him make the after blessing, the bracha chreina, which you do before, after an aliyah. Then the next aliyah, Hamishi, the fifth person, he will begin at the beginning of, let's say, this, this week, the beginning of Eila Masai, these are the journeys. We don't do that. We converge both of them together and unify them as if they're absolutely one. That means that this week it's not Parshish Matois and Masai, it's Matois Masai. Because Matois Masai become one entity. They're welded together in a way that you can't even see that they're two Parshish. And that's what's unique about it. That's the idea of unifying. And that's the third chazak. The third chazak is the chazak associated with this bringing of it together. We need to understand what is the difference between these three chazaks regarding a chizuk famatois, a chizuk famasai, a strengthening famasai, and a strengthening from both of them together, which is the main strengthening. And we'll understand this, we'll understand the connection of why we can have such chizuk, dafka, during the three weeks, which seems to be the opposite of strength. So to understand this, let's first analyze each one separately. Now, matois being a time of strength fits very well. Remember, we've discussed many times that in order to understand and appreciate the, the nature of something, all we need to do is really look into the name. The name of something conveys, expresses, the essence of what it's all about. So when you really want to understand the nature of the Parsha of the week, just look at the name. The name of this week's Parsha is Parsha's Matois. Matois means a staff. And what's a staff? A staff is a hard stick. You can use it as Chas as a club. Firm, hard, strong. So Matois, the fact that it's a stick, is 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 expressing 
strength, power. You know, a ruler, a symbol for a ruler was a staff. Um, I think in Masechta Savodah actually discusses this idea that the, thing, the symbol of kingship is actually a Pasuk also in Sefer Yecheskel where it says Matis um, Oiz something like that Shiftei Moishlin that the Mate is something that is a Shevet of a, ru- a stick of Moishlin of rulers so a Mate is Matis Oiz strength and power firm oh so that's chazak chazak means we're strong unbreakable nothing can break us we're as firm as a hard stick question however is when it comes to masse and you know it's interesting the way we, we just explained is that the chazak 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 the triple chazak one chazak is matris the other chazak is masse the other chazak is both together but which one of the three is the more significant one? The matais, the masai. Okay, the third is, a, of course. But between the two, matais and masai, which chazak is stronger? So here's the idea. As I mentioned earlier, matais and masai are not together every year. They're together most of the time, but they're not together every year. Which implies that we don't always have the chazak regarding tamatais, but we always have the chazak regarding tamasai. So what do we see from here? That the strength regarding Tapashis Masay is stronger than the strength regarding Tapashis Matis. Because Matis, we don't always have Chazak on it. If Matis is read on one Shabbos and Masay is read in the other Shabbos, like can happen sometimes, then we don't have a Chazak regarding Tapashis. So what do we see from here? That the Masay is the main strength. Which really, based on that, begs the question. Matis makes sense that it's strength. The word mata means strong, firm, hard, unbreakable, endurance. Masay, on the other hand, means movement, journeys. And we know that when a person journeys, it weakens them. I mentioned earlier the reason I couldn't give the class on Monday. I was beyond exhausted, tired, and I couldn't get back to myself till today. It was nonstop traveling in Eretz Yisrael. Whatever, it was movement, on the move, and move, and move, and move, and move. It just weakens you. It says, Pashas Lech Lecha. Hashem says to Avram, you know, I have to give you an extra bracha that you shouldn't lose your strength by all the travels that you're traveling. Traveling weakens a person. So if the idea of Masa is you're moving. And if you're moving, there is, that's, that's, that, that's the opposite of firmness, of stability. One of the things they always check if you if you if you're given a credit report, or you want you want to apply for a uh, for some kind of a credit, whatever it is, a new credit card or some credit line, they want to check, ask you for your addresses, your address, where you lived, and it's a plus if you lived in the same place for 20 years versus if every year or every six months you moved, they're uncomfortable with you when you're on the move because it shows in a certain weakness, as opposed to a certain a person that's stable stays in one place. Masay seems to be the opposite of stability, movement. How do you have a chazak regarding the masa? So in order to understand this, let's get a little bit of a better understanding in the notion of this unique chazak that we have now. The chazak that we're talking about in the strength that we're talking about is a strength associated with number three. Now, there is strength associated with number one. 
But we're talking about over here a strength that's associated with number three. The strength associated with number three is a unique kind of a gvura. It's a unique kind of strength. It's a strength in the face of adversary. Strength of one is an unchallenged strength. Someone is strong because no one is contesting them. Number three represents a very unique element of strength. True strength is when you've been contested. Truth strength is when your existence has been challenged, has been negated, has been fought against, and yet you've come out un, unbroken, strong, victorious, triumphant. That's the ultimate idea of strength, and that's the strength of number three. Discussed many times, the number one, two, and three. One represents an unchallenged reality, which is great. And as we apply it to spirituality, before God created the world, God wasn't challenged. He is the only existence. God is, holiness is, it's only Him, it's only the holy, nothing else exists. Fine. Is God true? He's true, of course. Now, but do we really, 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 really appreciate the truth of Hashem's existence? No. Because hypothetically, it's possible that something other than God or something antithetical to God could possibly arise one time and challenge its, His existence. Obviously, we know it's not true because we're already living now after God's truth has been proven. But in essence, conceptually, it could have been challenged when God was only one. In order to enable the true truth of the divine to be proven, is the Abishter himself wants to, in a sense, contest himself. So what does he do? He does hide his existence, and he brings out number two. What's number two? There's already duality. There's already something other than Hashem in existence, and that other, other entity does not acknowledge God, does not recognize Him, quite in the contrary, tries to appear as if it is a power, a force of, that has its own strength and its own ability and can ignore and fight God. That's the idea of number two. That's why the second day of creation, we know, it doesn't say kitov. There's a certain, there's a darkness on the second day. There's a rakiah, God created a firmament. Above the firmament, everybody knows God is, and everybody is surrendered and recognizes that Enod Melvada does nothing but Hashem. Under the firmament is where you have a world and a, 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 a uh, forces of Sitra Akhra. What's the, what's the definition? Sitra Akhra means the other side. Something that claims to have power on its own. And that's, that's the contestant. And, and, and as that translates into our own lives, we have a neshama. Our neshama comes from the world of Echad, from the, above the firmament. It recognizes, in that sense, when we're in touch with our soul, our soul acknowledges the unity of God and therefore, it, and it recognized that God is the only source of life and existence and it must be in total surrender to God. But we also have an agent of Sitra Akhra inside our hearts from number two, that's the animal soul, and which is very dark. It sees itself as a godless being. It sees the world as an opportunity for pleasure, enjoyment, and having fun and a good time, not related with serving the Creator. That's that number two element, the challenge to God's oneness, number two. But then comes number three. 
And what does number three come? Number three is where number one tri- uh, triumphs over the challenge and proves itself against the duality and against the, 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 the force that wants to challenge the, the oneness of number one. And that means that despite the fact that there is a possibility and there is room or there is something that claims, God, you're not the only existence. Number three is the idea, even though it seems this way, I'm still the only MS and the only truth. And it's going to be proven even in that very arena and that very space and that very vacancy of God that initially was filled with a population denying God, even in that place, God's truth will be proven. Okay? So that's number three. That's why the Torah, what's the whole idea of the Torah? To make the world godly. Torah is MS, to reveal the truth. Torah is even more MS than the MS of God prior to creation. Because the, the MS, the truth of God prior to creation, is the truth of number one. So there's always that possibility. What if, you know, we don't know. But then God creates a number two world. But then, on the third month, God gives the Torah. And what does the Torah do? We, the Jewish people, living in a world, living in a world that's not holy. We, the Jewish people, scattered amongst the nations. We, the Jewish people, living in, 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 in environments that are not naturally suggesting, suggest, suggesting the truth, the MS Hashem Le'olam, the truth of the Ebershter, the truth of God. Quite on the contrary. Suggesting sin, suggesting um, 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 atheistic beliefs, or whatever it is. And yet, Torah endures. Lives, Jewish people continue to live their lives based on the precepts of the Torah, which was given to us thousands of years ago, against all odds. We should have been assimilated, we should have been completely wiped out, and yet we're still keeping the mitzvahs. It's in, it's proving the truth of, the, of God that it can withstand every pressure, it can withstand every challenge, and yet it will come out. So that's the quality of number three. Now in three itself, well again, what's number three? Number three is to reveal the truth even in a place of challenge. In three itself, there's two levels. Level number one is to make a statement and to be able to present your truth that you're so strong that nothing can break you. So that's, that's, that's in a sense, three as a continuation of number one. It's number one flexing its muscles against the challenger of number two in order to prove itself within the space of number two to reveal that you are false, you're a lie, you have no strength, you have no power, I will beat you. That's it's a, cer- a certain form of assertiveness from number one. It's called number three because it's been, it's post-challenge. After the challenge of number two, number one puts its foot down and says, here I am, I'm the truth, and you have no power. Deeper than that is another level where the truth of number one is proven not by number one crushing number two and, 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 and revealing, you know, even when you're challenging me, I can win the argument. And I'm right. And you're just going to be silenced and quiet 
You know, just, we might say, shut up and listen. Just be quiet. I'm, I'm, I'm louder than you. I'm stronger than you. You have no power. That's, 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 that's strength. That's not the ultimate strength. The ultimate strength is a purification process which takes place quietly, subtly, in number two, where, you, where through this process, it becomes clear that the entire power that's been in number two is really, 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 really the truth of number one. Meaning in our case, it's God's truth that is the, really the underlying existence of everything that challenges God. And in that sense, number two itself begins to concede that God is its own truth and it itself aligns itself and supports the truth of number one. The difference is, is the truth coming from above? Is it coming in a manner where number one is overwhelming number two and silencing it and saying, I am right? Or is this truth coming from within the challenge itself, from within the challenger, from within the darkness, from within that which is, seems to be antithetical to holiness and to godliness, yet it too begins to sprout with holiness and godliness, revealing what its true nature is at, at its core. That's a much higher, higher truth. Because then the truth is thorough and complete. In other words, it's, 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 it's in a sense, you know, if, if you're overpowering, if number one overpowers number two with strength and might, and shows that even when I'm challenged, I can still win the argument, you still haven't proven it, proven it beyond the shadow of a doubt. Why? Because you never know. Tomorrow, a greater, a better debater will step up. A, a someone who will have, you know, stronger arguments will get up and maybe will challenge you again. So you don't really, 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 you haven't really, because you're basically just, you basically suppressed or, or overpowered the challenger. But when you can actually take the challenger itself and have them see the truth, that that truth comes from within themselves themselves, then in another sense, you, you don't have another darkness because the biggest, the most darkest thing has already conceded to truth. And not just conceded to truth, but transformed itself to, to light and to truth. That's the ultimate. So that's the second level of number three. Now let's take a look at the, at the idea of matis and masay. Both matis and masay are both the idea of number three. That's why we are going to say three times chazak regarding matis and masay, and we read them during the three weeks. Because the, the idea of matis and masay is number three. The difference, however, is why, what's the idea? That the truth of the divine prevails even where there is a challenge, even where there is a, a, a force standing against it. Truth of the, divin- of, of the divine prevails. Question is only in which manner. Matos means a staff. It means that God, holiness, is holding a stick and saying, you think you can break me, you think you can you know, crush me. Let's, let's, let's say God's contesting himself by the Jewish people kind of going into exile. We, the Jewish people, are a godly people. Well, we lived in Eretz Yisrael, no one was bothering us, we have a holy temple, we're doing all good. Oh, but now we go to exile, we're going to go amongst the nations. And the nations threaten our 
our, our integrity and our commitment to God on two levels. Either by crushing persecutions and darkness, or by a smile and a candy and love and so on and so forth, seducing us, God forbid, into, into to, 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 to leave our connection to God. Either way, we, the Jewish people, had to bring forth a, our deeper strength and be a mata. Be a, be, say, I'm not going to... No, 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 no. Hashem, my commitment, my connection to God is so true and so deep. No matter what I'm going to go through, hellish persecution, I'm still not going to give up on my God. I don't love God because of a reason. I'm just inseparable from Him. Or you can try to present me with every kind of distraction or every kind of seduction, I'm not going to be seduced. My connection to God is just firm, absolute, resilient. That's matos, being strong. Let's take a look. So it's a holiness, it's a strength representing the strength of God, the strength of the soul, the strength of, of number one, expressing itself in the place of number two, and, 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 and showing his, his, his might and power. Now, so let's take a look at the first passage of Matos. Eila Matos, Vedabe Moshe, Moshe speaks a Roshe Amatos to the heads of the tribes. And what does he say? Zehadavar Ashatziva Hashem. This is the word that God commands. In other words, the theme of Pashas Matos is God's commandment. God said so, and, 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 and God's, and Zehadavar, and there's nothing to, and there's nothing, and, and God's word will stand. In a sense, even though I didn't see this in the actual talk itself, we can say that that's also the idea of an, a neder. What does is, what is the beginning of Matos talk about? It talks about a vow. What's a vow? A vow means I feel that I'm, being, I'm going to succumb to certain temptations. I feel I'm going to be overwhelmed by a certain whatever. But you know what? I'm not going to allow that to persuade me. I'm going to be strong. How? I'm making a vow. So by making a vow, meaning I'm tying myself deeply to God, I'm tying myself deeply to my soul, and therefore, nothing will break me. So it's again, what kind of a strength? It's a strength coming from above. And again, so that's number three, but it's number three A, not three B. What's Masay? Masay is a deeper transformation. Masay means journeys. And where did the Jewish people journey? They journeyed 40 years in a desert. They went through, what's the desert? The desert is the headquarters of darkness. The desert represented every type of klipa imaginable. Imagine being faced in 40 years that the Jewish people were there. Every couple of weeks or every couple of months, they faced another one of the powerful forces that challenged the Jewish people throughout history. They faced the Inquisition. They faced the Crusaders. They faced the Enlightenment. They faced the, 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 the communists. They faced, why? Because the snakes and scorpions that were there spiritual snakes and scorpions in the desert was a concentrate. Not only that, they were the first sources of all the future challenges. And again, the challenges on two ends. Challenges of the freedom of, of America and so on and so forth. And the challenges, which was very, 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 very challenging to the Jewish people come to the United States. They were promised a golden Medina, uh, a place where they can flourish and all they need to do is you know, give up at their old stubborn Ancient, uh, ancient ways that belongs in the shtetl. That was one type of a seduction. And then all the other forces, the, the Russian, the, 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 the Romans, and all the darknesses, and the Greeks, 
every and the Babylonians and every kind of power of force that tried to break Israel all was there in the desert and the Jewish people traveled from place to place to place not only were they strong like a stick but in each place they dealt a blow to the individual klipa that was there they weakened they destroyed that klipa not only that they turned the place itself into an opportunity of growth and of deeper connection to God. Why? How do we refer to all those places? Journeys, journeys to where? Journeys to the Holy Land. That means each place they went to helped them journey to the Holy Land, which means journeying to God. Every single place enhanced their connection to God. That means that they actually caused a transformation. And to take it a step further, in each place they set up the Mishkan. And when they set up the Mishkan, the ground, that very, very, very impure ground of the desert, which was territory of the Klippa, territory of the Satan, this territory became holy land, at least for the duration when the Mishkan was there. And the camp was surrounded by the clouds of glory. An area was cordoned off to become holy, holy sacred land with all the Kedushim. That means transformation. It's a second kind of, of a transformation. It's the, it's, the, it's the idea of not, you know, I am, go jump in the lake, whoever you are. This is me, I'm strong, I'm, 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 I'm making my point, and I'm stronger than you. That's the strength of Matas. The strength of Masai is actually to enter into each place and to deal with each place accordingly, first overpowering it, but then transforming it. So Masse is really the ultimate strength of number three. 3B is stronger than 3A. 3A is despite the fact that you might harm me, I am who I am. But I haven't ultimately displayed the truth of what I represent because you're still an enemy, it's just I'm stronger than you. As opposed to, I've re- uncovered and revealed how not only you're not, are you not an enemy, but you're actually an enhancement to holiness and to godliness. You too are here to serve your creator. You too are part of the divine truth. And that's the chiddush of the masse of number three. I'm sorry, the chazak, the chizok, the strength of masse over the chizok and the strength of matos. Something deeper over there. But now we come to the third chazak. What's the third chazak? The third chazak is the unification and the harmony of matris and masay. Because the truth is, there is something noble, there is something powerful about the matos form of truth over the masay form of truth. Obviously, it's the same truth, but... The, the, the manner in which that truth is revealed. There's something unique about matis. The unique element of being a stick, of being strong, being unaffected, being just who you are, is that your strength is purely God. It's coming from above. And therefore it's all powerful. It's all strong. It's, 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 it has the infinite power. In a sense, if you take a look at the stubbornness of the Jewish people through exile, that stubbornness which allowed thousands of Jews to go into the fires of the auto de fe, 
to thousands of Jews to allow their throats to be slit and not bow down, not being dragged to the churches and during the, it shows, obviously, they'll say, oh, they were beaten, they were killed. No, obviously. It shows the nobility, the strength of their commitment to God, unbelievable in their martyrdom and so on and so forth. It's like an infinite. It means these Jews, no matter what it was, no matter what you were going to do to them, you were not going to tear them away from God. If they need to take their life, giving their life, their lives of their wives, their children, do that as well. They can't be separated from God. They expressed this infinite express, this infinite truth of, of divinity. Very powerful. When, however, <coughs> the strength is not coming from above, but the strength is coming from entering into the unholy and uncovering the truths of the divine that is within the, within the challenger itself, that truth is not so loud, it's not so powerful, it's not so strong. Because, after all, it's the godliness that's within that's within the choshech, within the darkness, within the creation, within whatever it is. That too is godly. And again, it's, it, in a sense it's showing of how true God is, that even, even his, his, his oppositions are also him. <laughs> true. But in a sense, you don't see over there the infinite power of God showing itself in might and in strength. It's more thorough, but it's less intense. So the quality of the first case is the display of the intensity of holiness. And in the second case, it's the all-embracing truth of holiness. That even in that which is low, God's truth will also come out. So here you have a both... Here you have quality... And a certain, a certain, a certain uh, um, quality, a certain uh, beauty in each one of them. How do you? Well, so, what's the ultimate, ultimate light? What's the ultimate, the ultimate truth? The ultimate truth is when you can combine the two of them together, have a mate's truth and have a masse truth, a truth coming from above, which has the intensity, and the truth coming from below, which has the the the. The um, it has the uh, the, per, the in a sense the permanence the the uh, the all 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 encompassingness of the of the uh, of the divine truth and both of them coming together both of them coming together in a sense I would say something like this as a chabadnik I would I would I would say just a way that maybe we can understand this better. Now the sixth Chabad Rebbe fought very strongly in Soviet in Soviet Russia. He was faced with powerful, powerful forces that wanted to extinguish Yiddishkeit. The fifth, sixth Chabad Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchok, fought the battle, and his Hasidim, his generation, the sixth generation of the in Chabad they called the Doi Rashishi, the sixth generation Hasidim, they were Hasidim that took the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov, teachings of the Alter Rebbe of the Tanya, and put it to test on the most dire situations. They represented the strength coming from above. They were the Matis generation. Then came the seventh generation, generation of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And he already takes all those Hasidim, sends them out across the world. Now, of course, and, 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 and what do they have to do? Bring, create, bring forth Yiddishkeit in the most remote places where Judaism didn't have a chance. And yet in these places, they go in and they turn the place around. 
So you, you, you see there's a very big difference. In the sense of stubbornness, it's a sixth generation, very stubborn. Now of course the seventh generation also needs stubbornness, because you wouldn't be stubborn, you would be... But over here it's more of a softer approach. It's not like coming in there saying, I'm ready to die and so on and so forth. It's more talking, meeting, but knowing the truth that every challenge and every element in this world that looks to be so ungodly and so unoppressed with holiness and so on. Many times you have these shluchim that go out into various different cities and as soon as they come there, they right away get a notification coming from the reform or, or some other uh, Jews especially <laughs> that are not happy with uh, observant, obser- um, uh, 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 observant uh, Judaism, traditional Judaism coming to town. And they will come and say, you know what, I'm going to stop you. We're going to do everything we can to stop you. And the, and the most amazing thing is that the Rebbe taught Hasidim not to be nispal, not to be affected by it. And watch, these very, very strongest voices of opposition, give it two, three years later, they're already being honored by the dinner of the Chabadnik. These people who gave them such a rough time, transformation, eventually they come along. It's a transformation. So the fire of the Hasid, and sometimes you saw it in the sixth generation, strength. The seventh generation has that nothing in the world that's not God. It's the truth coming from the world, not so much the truth coming from above. The quality over here is the unification of both these powers together. To have the intensity of the godliness coming from above, but to also have that thoroughness of the truth coming from below, converging them together. That is the idea of matris and mase, converging and becoming one truth. One chizuk, one strength. That's the quality of number three. Three in its complete state. But now once we have that understanding, we also understand an amazing thing. Why is it that Matis and Masay, number one, they conclude the fourth book of the Torah, and in addition to concluding the fourth book of the Torah, the point in where we weld and merge the two parshias together is in the fourth Aliyah. Because here is the significance of number four. You see, number three, even though three, the essence of number three is that it is a merger, it merges things together, but precisely because three is a merger of number one and number two, especially if we look a little deeper and we look at number one, not just number one and two, as both of them expressions of godliness. One is the flow of divine truth coming from above. Two represents... Again, what we, what we called before 3A and 3B, 3A is really number one. It's a, it's a truth coming from number one. Uh, 3B is the truth coming from below. That's the truth of number two coming from the world itself. And then number three is the merging of both these powers. As we said earlier, it should be a strength, the intensity of number one, but at the same time, the thoroughness of it being coming from the student, coming from... A good example, just, just to take it out of the Hasidic terminology, it's a good example maybe just to add a little more explanation to what I said before. Sometimes you go to a class and you hear a teacher and everything the teacher said made tremendous sense in your head. Then you leave the class and then, and then you, you're, 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 you're again thinking about it and it doesn't make sense to you. You're, you're again, it doesn't, well, what the teacher said doesn't make any sense. And then there are teachers, sometimes you go to, and you go to their class, they teach you something, 
and then you leave, and yeah, what they said makes so much sense, and, and, and it is the way you're thinking. What's the difference? It's the difference between number one and number two. In, in a teacher on the level of 3A that we spoke about earlier, that teacher is able to be so convincing, they suspend your mind, and they basically their brain takes over your brain. While they're giving over that class, you're, you're almost not thinking with your brain. They have now completely infiltrated. You know sometimes you have in a computer where you have someone, you, you don't know how to do something on your computer and you need help, and there is someone who asks you for a special, there's a way of doing it, I forgot what they call it, where you can actually let someone else take over your computer. In that sense, someone else takes over your brain, and they basically are now, you know, tinkering with your mind. So you're thinking you're understanding, but it's not really you understanding, it's their truths that are now being pronounced in your brain. The other type of a teacher doesn't just powerfully present their case, they make you think, they ask you questions, until you come to the conclusion. Now, in a sense, the power of the conviction of the first teacher is more convincing. I mean, the, the, the ideas themselves are much stronger when the teacher conveys them. Versus when the student, even when the student comes to that truth, he comes to the truth in a very limited way compared to the first student whose teacher manipulated, I don't want to use the word, but it's, not, it's, a, it's a negative word, but I'm just borrowing that term, manipulated their brain with the teacher's brain, which is far more stronger. The, the arguments are far convinced. But the quality is going to be in both of them together. So number three represents this convergence on both directions. Having the intensity and having the all-embracing thoroughness. But here's the important point. Three, since it's welding two, two things together, you can see that it was welded together. You can see that it's coming from two directions. It's two things merging as one. Therefore, there's a quality to number four. The quality of number four is that in number four, four is already a separate number. You have, number four represents a certain truth that is just truth that encompasses, it's the all-embracing truth of the idea that is fully, fully encompassing both teacher and student, both and in a way where you don't even recognize that these are two forces that are just coming together now and converging together. It's just the absolute truth that is, that if it's true, then of course it's true from, it's true from above, it's true from below. It's truth is all, is all inclusive. In three, there is still a, 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 a sense of the two directional elements that are taking place. That the two forces that are clashing with each other, that are now peace has been made, and the peace has been made, it's like um, you would say, you know, you have two, two nationalities, two people, that, that first there was one, then another, an, another nation came and contested the others, the others' rights to their country, their land, or whatever it is. So there was a clash. Then there comes a peace in which we harmonize both. But still, they sense we're with two groups that are now getting along with each other. But then they get married together and they intermarry, so on and so forth. And then there comes the next generation. Next generation, you don't even have any more the distinctions of this one and that one. It's just a blend of total oneness. So that's what number four represents. Four represents the idea, especially when it comes to holy numbers. Four represents the idea of God's truth being fully recognized and in a way that you can't even see if the truth came from above or the truth came from below. It's just the truth. In that sense, we can see 
that um, uh, what, 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 where do we find number four is a very unique number. We know that a chair, a, a throne, has to have four legs. Now, even though you can really sit on a, on a seat of three legs, but the ultimate throne is a throne of four legs. It's far more st- stable. So we would say something like this. Can God sit on a leg on one leg? No, he can't sit. Sitting, God sitting means he's sitting as a king. When there's only one, there's no one to be a king on. So there's no really to sit. On two legs, he can't sit. Because on two legs, meaning that there is the king and the subjects, but the subjects don't know that they're subjects of the king. So therefore, there is conflict. Number three comes to teach the subjects that the subjects are subjects of the king, and therefore they should submit to the king. So number three allows already for the king to sit down. So you can have a throne of three. But it's a very instable type of a seat because the, the subjects still have, in a sense, an identity, a memory of an identity that they once had in which they did not see themselves as subjects, and now they have to concede themselves to the king. Number four represents a concept where the subjects realize that we were, from the very beginning, only born to be subjects. That means our very, very existence is the king. The king and subjects are really one entity. There isn't one above and one below. There is one entity called kingship. And in that entity called kingship, there is a king and there are subjects. And there's all one. That's one truth. And that one truth is the truth of number four. Then from there, we come to the significance of number five. Because number four, now this is a very subtle idea. Number four represents, is the idea that a truth harmonizing all of existence from above and from below where you can't see anymore the differences but it's still the truth of this game or this spiel or whatever you would like to call it called creation in which the Abishters, God's truth is conveyed in a manner where above and below are absolutely all one truth but where is that truth really coming from? The truth is really coming from, from number five. The fifth level is the revelation of God's essence himself. Now God's essence itself is, God is, is not, see, the, 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 the MS of the fifth level is even deeper than, the, much infinitely higher than number four. Because the fifth is a level that is unrelated to worlds completely. It's just God himself. And four is the truth of, of Abishter in relationship to creation. Huh? In a manner where, okay, the ultimate truth of God is that all of existence, everything is, is, is just meant to express his kingship. I wasn't created for anything else but to serve my creator. So that's number four is that the, 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 the truth of God is coming from all directions. It's absolute emes. But it's still an emes within creation. Number five is God is. And because He is, so, 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 so therefore from His essence comes everything. Comes a world, and comes a world and any possibility. Number one, that He manifests Himself as a king, and that the world is a subject, and that His... And that his truth is the truth of everything. It's really emanating from a fifth dimension, which according to Kabbalah is where we say the, the, the fifth level, which is like above, above, above the Yud Kevavke, the four letters, the Yud. The Yud has a little, to something higher, above and beyond creation. Just truth of absolute God's existence. 
And that's number five. That's the source for the harmony of number four, which is really the root of number three. So three, four, and five represent this absolute MS. In three, it's already unified, but you see the, the conflict of the two. I, 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 I'll, 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 tr- I'll translate that to what we mentioned to appreciate the difference between three and four. Earlier I said the sixth generation of Chabad Hasidim represented the, the, the strength of fighting the klipa. The third, the seventh generation represented the idea that we can find godliness everywhere in the world and transform every aspect of creation to be an ally of holiness. What is number four? In a sense, you can say number four are the children of the seventh generation. These are children that are already born on the shlichus. They're already, and to them, it's not even like, oh wow, there's a challenger and we have to overcome the challenger. To them, it's like, yeah, of course, of course, every situation has to be godly because they're born already from parents that have already. From, from an organization, from people, from, from a truth that has already all encompassed the entire world and revealed godliness everywhere. So to them, it's not even, they don't even see the world as some kind of a challenge. It's like, yeah, bring it on. Any challenge is almost like a joke because everything has to be godly and will be godly. It's a matter of today, tomorrow, you tinker it this way, you tinker it that way. It's like such a, it's so, it, it, it's so like matter of fact that this is the way it is. That's number four. And, and, and leading into number fifth as a deeper recognition just in the essence of God. And when one recognizes the essence, then everything is harmonized into just one MS and one truth. And there's nothing but that truth. And you see godliness everywhere and in everything. And all that it is is just that MS of God being the essence of essence and everything has to be emanating from Him. So now uh, we can understand, again, going back, why the convergence of Matis and Masai is in the fifth aliyah, why, in the fourth aliyah. Why we finish the, the fourth sefer. Um, the Chazak Chazak is in the fourth book. And why this leads into the fifth book, which the fifth book is the expression of the Eberster's essence. And when do we do it all? In the three weeks? fourth month of Tammuz, moving into the fifth month of Tammuz. What's the significance of that? The signi- no, I'm sorry, the fifth month of the, of the year, which is the month of Av. What's the significance of three, four, and five? In this sense, it's as follows. We had a first base Amigdash. What's the first base Amigdash? First base Amigdash was God putting his foot down and saying, I am real in this world. Don't think for one moment that I created a world and I can't express myself in my world. I will express myself in the physical world. So God overwhelms Shlomo Melech built this, the world in a manner of truth coming from above. The Jewish people then came from Mitzrayim, they were redeemed, they saw the miracles that came from Har Sinai, and they went straight to Eretz Yisrael, built the Beis Amigdash. It was a truth, it was a very intense truth that they had coming from above. They sinned, they messed up, they lost it. They went into exile. Now they're coming back from the second temple as Bali Tshuva. They've been in the darkness, and from within the darkness they found God. They did tshuva from within the darkness. It was a discovery from below. They built the second base of English. Second base of English, however, was lacking the display of godliness that the first base of English had. 
the intensity of the first temple was not there in the second temple. That's why you didn't feel the divine as strong in the second temple. It was more associated with the world. It was more of our truth, but it was less revealing God's truth. The third temple is all about the converging of the first temple and the second temple into the third temple. And that's the whole point of the three weeks. The whole point of the three weeks that we went to exile and we lost what we had both in the first temple and the second temple so that we can discover this higher unity and this ultimate truth of number three and number four and number five. And that's why the content of these three weeks is really the ultimate strength. Because what strength? Strength is in the place of adversary. In the place of challenge, you reveal the truth. And that truth is three, four, and five. And that's the idea of chazak, chazak, benis chazek, the ultimate chizuk, the ultimate strength. The hara and the teaching of all of this is, during these three weeks, we have to discover the deepest M, especially when we enter into Chaydish Av. For instance, in regards to the Jewish people, we have to discover the fifth dimension. What's the fifth dimension of Jewish people? Is that we discover a point of essence of every single Jew, and no matter what, that's the Jew is his essence. And therefore, we have a unity and an achtus with all Jews in a way so deep where we don't even begin to differentiate this Jew, what your, what your, what your ideology is, what your, what your, it's just the fact you're a Jew. And if you're a Jew, you have the essence. And the essence of, 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 of all, of, of, of God is expressed in every single, in every single Yid, in every single Jew. That unity, that Ava, that Achtos, that's what we need most during this time. And he adds, the Rebbe adds an interesting thing. Not so much do we need this Avas Yisrael as a Tikkun. Some people say, as a Tikkun, mourning the destruction of the Temple, we have to fix the destruction. Here's an amazing thing. We fixed the destruction already. We're already past that. The exile is over already. We're already past the darkness. Now we have to be in a state of oneness, and a state of unity, not so much to fix and to repair, but because we have to introduce and start living Mashiach thing. Moshiach is going to reveal the intrinsic unity of the Jewish people. Moshiach is that fifth dimension. Moshiach is the essence. And Moshiach therefore uncovers our essence. And therefore we discover our intrinsic oneness with each other. We all are one. That essence. That's the Avos Yisrael. Our Avos Yisrael today is more about living in the redemption than about fixing the exile. Start acclimating, acclimating, living in a redemption state of mind. When Mashiach will come, we will not be able to see any kind of differentiation between Jew and Jew. It doesn't make a difference, religiosity and so on and so forth. We will see in every single Jew the essence, and then we will appreciate how all the aspects of that person's lives, their mitzvahs, and maybe even the opposite of mitzvahs that they've done, how all of that brought together the ultimate Jewish experience and the ultimate divine truth. Because, again, if the Jew is rooted in the essence of God, then the essence is, and the essence of God is the essence of everything must be that everything of the Jew's life is really sprouting and rooting in that and, root, and, and, and emanating from that essence. So even what appears to us sometimes as contradicting that can't be true. That's not the truth of it. So even, and that's the idea of the tshuva that comes when Mashiach comes and the like, the idea is to see and to know and to recognize and to feel and to sense that MS and everything. May we merit to see it. Take it from Yad Mamish now, now, and now.